of our way of life we went so wrong america i'm your host travis matier and across the table from me like always tim adams i'm here yeah i like your intro no it, it's your fault guard. it's it's your fault because you were getting me all hyped up on forever purge clips which we might play a little bit later yeah um but for people that want to hear us not do just improv kind of stuff like that um, we are here today like we have been week after week after week during our municipal elections here in missoula montana Whoa, to uh, to discuss the, the 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 past week's events, um, so to speak, is kind of what we do here. And so, um, in terms of our itinerary, which I've written out in pencil and on paper in front of me here, is tools. Now I have that in quotation mark. Um, the tools to fight COVID. Uh, we'll discuss that. You're going to be digging into some numbers. Yeah. You do the numbers thing. You are you are on the the sort of was it left brain right? And then I'm kind of more right brain. I'm the poet know. who's going to read a poem later. And you're the statistical person because you've taken a statistical class. I took one, and here I am. And that, <laughs> that makes you our resident expert. So um, we're also going to talk about humanitarian obligations. I'm not entirely sure what specific policy this references, but I know our county commissioners care so much and their heart's so big that they sent a State Department letter um, about some kind of obligation. So we'll discuss that. We will talk about a... Um, a former candidate for city council who is not a candidate any longer since he lost in the primary, but that's not stopping him from getting back on the comment train at the blog. So, he, so Jay Kevin Hunt's back on the comment train. We'll talk about a possible idea for his Halloween costume, Patty Hearst. Spoiler. Um, oh. And then we're going to maybe discuss how Missoula is getting on the build back better train. So comment train, the BBB train, uh, all kinds of fun stuff coming up, but um, you know, maybe, maybe. What Where were the with? mailers I gave you for the city races? I was they're curious. right here. Oh, they're, okay, they're under. While your you stuff. look at this, should we just open and go get forever? Should well, we, I should we get it. The thing that struck me is I live out in Bonner slash Milltown, and so getting my mail out there, I saw some of these in the trash, and so by so law, a, I can dig through the trash if I want to. Yeah, that's the uh, county. The county you're seeing some city city council trash in the county. Is that yeah, what you're saying? I, I don't think Bonner and Milltown are actually in city limits. I could be wrong. Maybe part of West Riverside is, but uh, I was just curious if people, you know, ha claim residency in Missoula, but then have their mailing and stuff sent, you know, to other places. Or they can just really love some of these folks. You know, I see a, I see a Mike Nugent sign on Big Flat Road. I'm not sure if that's city or county. Yeah. Kind of sure it's county. You know, on the on the other side of the McClay Bridge, which is actually closed this week. So for anyone that's listening um, and you're out kind of in the target range area, um, you might not want to, to try and cross the bridge because you can't at the McClay Bridge spot. Um, oh, come on, so. Stacy. There's a spelling error on here. Do, do you want to, to, to get a, a better feel with this special sort of forever purge? Or, or are you going to say that for later? No, nah, I, I just found this interesting. There's one very specific thing that also made me find this interesting, and that is, is the fact that three of the judge candidates are running together. 
They it's, send out joint mailers. There is one mm-hmm. woman who is running all of their campaigns. At least it says that this uh, Barbara, what's her name? So it, I, I, Barbara I, Barons. Do you know who that is? I, I don't, but I noticed that um, I believe Heather Harp, city council member, recently came out for this um, collection of candidates. Um, I don't know if you saw a post that I wrote about uh, a suite of grants and how I thought that maybe that was like a gaggle of geese. I don't know what you call a grouping like this of candidates, but um, it's, it is interesting because the municipal courts are um, apparently still janked up. Um, Kathleen Jenks is, um, I think, the most notable judge. I, I talked to her months and months ago on the phone. She's going to be retiring. I kind of want her to be like, you know, on the podcast. Um, but she's going to be going, I think, to Arizona and doing uh, jewelry. She's into oh, making nice. jewelry. You know, so she's going to say... be heading out at some point. And this is this is going to be a cadre yeah. of candidates that might that uh, might enter the the field. Um, I'm kind of familiar with Eli Parker. Uh, Jacob Coolidge is fantastic. He's a public defender for um, the acquitted Brandon Bryant, um, and that's a uh, disabled veteran who was uh, prosecuted by the county attorney's office for felony intimidation charges and was acquitted in July. Um, we're not going to get into that though. Maybe more on that in a later episode or, or two. But um, so I think the reason why I'm just like geared up by that forever purge is because I, I'm assuming the reason why you're playing it is because in the great um, cultural megaphone of Hollywood, um, the, 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 the purists are, of course, like right wing, you know, racist, like, you know, Nazi sounding people that, that don't like the beaners. Yeah. So that they don't like mixed mixed race relationships like the white girl and the the, the Latin descent. Yeah, I, maybe Is I'll that... start off with the recommendation for you today because I recommended video games to you last time. But I yeah. have to say, you know, one of the few genres that's really gotten really good in the last 20 years and, and has stayed pretty much accessible and, and high not, quality. Not comic books? No, it's horror movies. And I found The Purge to be actually pretty interesting. Normally, I'd be pissed off that the villains in this are all right-wing Republicans who are secret Nazis and just want to hurt Normally, people. but and, not this time. Well, I, I think it's done clever enough and it's done so absurdly that I don't think it's, you know, there's actually other movies. Have you seen The Hunt? Have you heard of that one? No, I, I'm familiar, but I've not seen any of these. I need to go back to the original because I kind of think that The Purge, I, I've stayed away from it because they're telling us like the future they hope to have, where it's like 24 hours, no laws, y'all kill each other, you know? And um, because like ultimately I, I'm feeling that inclination towards wanting to do a Thunderdome battle between Afghan refugees and homeless families from the YWCA that are being evicted at the end of the month. I think maybe we should just go full on dystopia future and, and, and create, I mean, there's a, there's a perfect place to do it. There's a chain link fenced, like, like parking lot area by the YWCA where um, homeless people were recently given from my information and what I confirmed through the grocery store, a hundred dollar gift certificates to disappear from the Cedar street pop-up encampment. Oh. Um, yeah, no, it's cool. I think there could be a, a, a Thunderdome kind of situation where you, you, you find someone that wants to donate a house because people love donating stuff for great causes. The, the County donated land for the Trinity apartment complex, which is starting to see a structure being built on it now. Um, so someone could donate a house, right? And for for a room in the house, you ha- you battle. And so you know you'd want to maybe um, make sure they're fully vaccinated before getting into that Thunderdome situation, um, because there won't be social distancing when they're battling for housing in our in our future dystopia. Wow, I need to take a breath. I I just want you to watch them because it's 
I find the concept that we all come to this one place where we're like, eh, let's just murder each other once a day. Let's just like, if you want, in, and the thing is in the purge, so so the... Have you read much of the Old Testament? I have a minor in religious studies, dude. Ooh, man, statistical. Uh, well, how, Yahweh killed like what, a million plus? I don't know. It's storybooks. What do you want? I know. I know. I'm not as religious as you. I view it anthropologically. I am a spiritual. Uh, but the, there is this group of what they call the New Founding Fathers, and they create this purge. And initially, it's sold to like the poor and, and minorities as you sign up for this and you participate. And if you make it through to the end, you get paid money. So it's, it's almost like Squid Game, I, just I guess, gonna, in a way. I was just going to say that. Uh, where you just do that. And then as you go into the movies, you start to find that there's these alternative motives, like the uh, third purge is called purge election year and there's this really left-wing politician that comes out and says we shouldn't purge anymore it's just hurting the poor and minorities so we need to elect new people so then the the founding fathers of course take the occasion of the purge to go after her and try to murder her before the purge is over uh there's some interesting storylines about it this one was most interesting that this is purge five called the forever purge and in it, you start with Mexican immigrants coming over the border. And then you cut to them working on this cattle ranch for these rich white people. And the rich white people, they take care of the. It's almost you know, it's like it, slavery undertones. If now this I think was, about it. If this was like Emilio Estevez, Young Guns 2 times, then I don't think there'd be nearly as many problems. But now that we're in 2021 and we don't have the benefit of Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen takes tiger blood... Um, and believes in QAnon, I just don't know where we're at. And so maybe we just do need to give over ourselves to the forever purge is maybe what you're, you're setting up. Well, here. and I told you before, uh, we thought we could like make a new name for the Pavarello Center and just call it the Purgerello Center. The Purgerello. I mean, it does seem to be the center of, you know, this battle royale style where people on drugs and without housing seem to battle each other for supremacy and no one gives a shit if they die. So why and don't they are we currently if, if you want to work in that environment, um, which I spent seven years working and it's been a while, so I don't know what the current dynamics are like. Um, I worked at the old Pav downtown and the new Pav on uh, West Broadway. Um, they are hiring 30 people. They need urgently 30 people starting at $15 an hour. There's some kind of signing bonus. They are getting ready to open up their Johnson Street shelter November 1. Um, and so I'm hoping to talk to someone in, in that area um, who's very well versed in the dynamics both before the Johnson Street shelter opened um, and after. $15 an hour, you say? Yeah. Did you know all the school bus drivers in Stevensville quit two weeks ago because they couldn't get a 75 cent raise from $15 an hour? I did not know that. Yeah, our little town, I got the note and they just tried to raise them from 15 to 15.75 and the school board told them no. And so they just all quit. You know, if they want to um, taste the fun experiment of quote unquote harm reduction, they can enter the warehouse of uh, meth use and other sort of uh, rampant depravities. I don't know. I've never been in the Johnson Street shelter. I just, I hear you know things from people on the streets that, that I talk to but um you know it's gonna be interesting because um, part of the the increased price tag that's going to be floated to uh, to Missoula residents um, who are not yet homeless is going to be all the security now that's being acknowledged is needed so the main shelter on West Broadway sounds like they're gonna be getting some security I've actually already seen security doing some patrolling Johnson Street shelter will have some security and that's of course for like sort of on-site stuff the spillover in the neighborhoods is a different challenge, but, um, but you know, let's see. This is um, strange to me. I don't know where they're going to hire all these people. Half the businesses in town aren't even fully staffed, and you think you're going to just find 30 more people to work for 15 bucks an hour to be put in 
you know, the peril of dealing with mental illness on a daily basis and drug addiction. Before we shift to COVID, um, I do want to continue this just a little bit longer because sure. helping homeless people is something I used to do, but now I just write poems about it. Um, and I am actually canvassing certain areas like the Johnson Street Shelter neighborhood and also the Clark Fork Lane. I'm starting to hand out my business cards as a citizen journalist. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm making some contacts. One of the businesses pointed um, to where they think a bullet hole uh, is in a window. It, um, someone maybe maybe have taken a shot with like a pellet gun because it doesn't look like a high caliber. Didn't actually break the window. And I don't think it's like a special window, but but they pointed that out and I, and I gave them my card. I'm like, well, if you have other concerns, I'm just looking into you know what might be happening. But I, I have a poem. It's a really good one. Okay. I'm often very humble with my poems, but I think this one's particularly just fantastic. And it's about helping. Are you ready Go for, for it? Go for it, man. I'm listening. I'm all ears. Okay. Help me help the homeless. You helped into the ground. Help me like the college kids you financed out of town. For bigger zoos in Portland and big needles by the sea. Help me help the helpless ones to turn their need to green. Yes, you psycho alchemists, let us all transmute like Johnny with machete so the deputies can shoot. You don't need to name them or dash cam for the fam. Doing that would take a town that actually gave a damn. Help me understand this. How long did it take? To ruse, abuse, and confuse the spirit of this place. No, what? Never mind. I think I've had enough of your bullshit helping hand in blood-resistant gloves. Your handshake maneuvering like blankets for the Reds has the same effect. Your helping leaves them dead. Instead of sucking hope like craft beer from the taps, I decided now's the time to wake up and fight back. Not with rainbow colors from Jacob's stolen coat. Perhaps a Kula dude will shake their quaking boat. Me, I'm not waiting for someone else's chops. No, I'm growing garlic cloves in very fertile plots. Oh, I thought you say crops. Plots of dirt. Oh, what was the word Because they're it? vampires. Oh, plots, okay. Plots, plots of dirt. You know, could be um, story plots. See, sometimes you use words because it could be, have multiple interpretations, and it's up to you, the listener, to figure out what it's all about. That one's a pretty simple one. It's about helping, okay? Pretty straightforward. Fucking helpers. Mm -hmm. So um, now we can go to COVID numbers. What, what about the COVID numbers are you trying to figure out because they change like chameleons change their colors? Okay, well, I'll give you an example. So a week ago, we sat here and we had this discussion. And I've just been tweet bitching and moaning about how no one will help well, me just Because you were, you were being called out because you were, you were assuming that the DPHHS uh, weekly reports uh, represented a, a sort of collated, accurate, up-to-date um, yeah. amount of numbers. And what you started discovering was that they can be updated sometimes one to what three weeks out i mean it's looking like at least three weeks maybe even more i didn't start tracking this or gathering information till you know first of october so that's the data set i've been using um, but we on the air last week had numbers uh which uh, today's october 19th so on the 12th a week ago uh, the numbers for October 8th were 535 since then uh, as of and, and 535 meaning cases according to the okay cases states covid dashboard of number of cases by date gotcha um, that number is now up to 901 so in the week 
So we, we recorded that, I guess that would have been Friday, Friday the 8th. So on Tuesday the 12th, that number, number of COVID cases was listed at 535. And then another week, so another, I guess, 11, 12 days, we're up to 901. Basically, what I'm just finding here is that there is definitely a lag, and it usually takes about 7 to 10 days before you get anything even close to resembling the real numbers. And even like this morning when I looked at the update, uh, for October 1st, yesterday it was at 947, and today it was 999, or excuse me, it was 964, and it went up to 999. So that's 35 more cases that were added today for 18 days ago. That seems like a long time to, that's uh, almost 4%. So it keeps going. How do you, I don't even know how, to, I, I, can con, I can conceptualize the fact that it probably takes you like two to four days to start showing symptoms and therefore it's going to take you, you know, some sort of lag period between where you get sick and then actually go get a test and then a couple more days to get the results back. Um, but three weeks seems like a really long time. So, and and for, for some broader context, um, Montana is, is being singled out in, in a lot of ways nationally oh, yeah. for, for having a, a per capita COVID case rate um, that's like one of the highest in the, in the nation. Um, I have no idea if that is any kind of coincidence because we also have a, a state that passed House Bill 702, um, which you know doesn't allow the kind of tools apparently that, that are needed to co combat this pandemic, Tim. Do you, want to, do you want to know about the tools? Can I tell you about the tools? I like that, Bill. I'm, that's that's probably the one thing that would urge me to maybe actually make some contributions to these Republicans right now. I like that, Bill, I, I more think, and more. Actually, the, well, and I like Gianforte. The more and more yeah. they're like they're like um, giving like details because um, in the in the post, the, and one of the things I'm going to be doing, I think, because I've been very bad at putting links out, I might just do like the the whole like past week's blog links. Because um, oh, yeah. a lot of times that's kind of what we're discussing is the past week's blog posts from for me. I've seen um, that on quite a few blogs where it'll be like, here's the best of the week just into one. And yeah. sometimes those email it out to a newsletter once. It is. Like, hey, we know you don't have the time to read my cool blog every day. So here's the best things. Don't to read. reinvent the wheel. Right. Um, but under under the attacking Montana's non-discrimination legislation so the unvaxxed can be punished. I, I got a chance to better understand some of these tools that are being denied are very caring um, you know, well-intentioned uh, COVIDians. And, and so I'm going to get into some of that. So um, th these are quotes, I think, uh, what is it? Is this from, uh, uh, what is this? I'm trying is it to... from the doctor that moved here two years ago or five years ago? <laughs> um, no, no, no. So, so this is, I think it was from the Missoula Currents article. Um, and one of, the, one of the things, and this is a quote, okay? So because the law... And I believe that's 702 forbids discrimination based on vaccination status. It also prohibits most incentives offered to anyone to get vaccinated and prohibits schools or anyone else from requiring the non-vaccinated to be quarantined longer than vaccinated people. Wait, 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 go back. So they it's a legal prohibition to offer someone a gift or something of value to get a vaccine. No, 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 no. So it, okay, this two is, this sentences is, ago, because that's what I thought you said. I'll, I'll just reread this. It's, it's very weird. And I am reading this out of context, um, but so because the law forbids discrimination based on vaccination status, and that's what the law apparently forbids, right? Discrimination based on vaccination status. It also prohibits most incentives offered to anyone to get vaccinated. Okay, so but this is what the incentive is, Tim. This is kind of weird. Wait, wait. So, so it prohibits incentives. Isn't that what you just said? Prohibits most incentives most. offered okay. to anyone to get vaccinated and prohibits schools or anyone else from requiring the non-vaccinated to be quarantined longer than vaccinated people. 
So this is like the incentive is that you don't get quarantined. Okay. The next, yeah. the next uh, paragraph reads this, right? Quote, so you can't even quarantine the folks who were exposed unless you quarantine everyone, which isn't practical because you shouldn't be quarantine, quarantining folks that are fully vaccinated. Murphy says, um, that's, uh, Jared Murphy. Um, then, uh, another quote I had, uh, let's see. The rule referred to by Murphy came down August 31st from the state health department saying school districts should allow for kids to get exemptions from face mask mandates in, in schools this fall. So they don't want kids to have any exemptions. Um, two, two weeks later, 18 state, um, epistemologists or epidemiologists, epistemologists, Help me out here. Epidemiologist. Epidemiologist. That's okay. right. And state um, health experts delivered a letter to Gene Forte's public health director, Adam Meyer, blasting the rationale for the rule. They said statements used to support the rule on the su- on the supposed drawbacks or ineffectiveness of masks were misleading and false. And so, um, th- at this point, the fact that um, that kids could get exemptions was kind Who of. Who is saying that? What's the claim that's making that? What group? This law is not okay. No, I just want you to reread what you said, so I make sure I heard it correctly. The whole thing, whatever the last sentence or two was. Okay, so um, two weeks later, eighteen stated. Um, okay, I'm not going to read that again. Um, and health experts delivered a letter to the to Gene Okay, health public, experts. Right. That's who. Okay, so this is like a organization of nurses or doctors or something, or is it just random people sign their name to a letter? You have to go read the whole article for, okay. for all the Never mind. I'll stop asking questions. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Um, this is all very confusing. All of this, like tracking this is very confusing because um, I, I, I was trying to understand what 702 actually keeps them from doing because mm-hmm. my kids are being required to wear masks. Okay. Um, and so, that, I mean, that's happening. Um, you can still be put in, into quarantine. Maybe they, they don't have the enforcement they want. Um, but another one of these quotes, uh, Murphy also says state health officials were told not to promote COVID-19 vaccines for school-aged children in school settings this fall. Quote, typically for the start of the school year, there's a pretty heavy effort to vaccinate kids for the routine childhood disease, diseases, he told MTN News. And a lot of that occurs within school settings with school-based clinics. Yet, we were discouraged from promoting anything that had to do with a school-based clinic on COVID. Good. I don't want you like pressing my kids to get vaccinated in the fucking cl- school clinic setting. I don't know why they are so gung ho about this. As of today, there is still not one recorded case of anyone under the age of 18 having died of COVID-19 in Montana since the start of the pandemic. Uh, you would not believe that based on the way they're going so hard on these masks and vaccines. Yeah, um, there have been. I think I actually posted that on my Twitter was like, uh, let's look at the number of reactions and side effects because they've recorded, I think, at least 14 deaths, at least in the various system from uh, people under 18 getting the vaccine. And there's something like 70,000 reactions that have been recorded. And even that is a voluntary you know, system where people have to know it exists and know that they should go and make a report. Uh, so it, most people consider those numbers to be undercounted. Uh, I, I don't. Do they not care about kids at all? There was I, there was five deaths recently, um, and that I had some concern trolling on the on the blog about that um, because, um, you know, five five people died of COVID, and I would love to know more information. Um, I, I don't understand why we should care about the five people. I'm, I'm okay. I'm being a little cynical, a little gallows humor. It's not humorous at all, but, um, you know, if, if 
they're obviously unvaccinated, right? If they died, they're not vaccinated because if you're vaccinated, it, you're being saved, right? Well, and, and we just and had so Colin it, Powell die at 84 and he was fully vaccinated. Uh, so it's not as if the, the vaccines provide like bulletproof, invincible protection. Even if every single person here got a vaccine, people we would still have these breakthrough infections happening. We still have people infecting each other and we'd still have a small percentage of people dying. So I don't, you know, the, the, the things they're proposing don't seem to get them to this like utopia of zero COVID cases ever. I mean, I'm already hearing about another variant in the UK, this like Delta V4 or whatever it is. You know, you know, my, my condolences to the, to the family members of the, the five people that, that passed away. Um, they did something that, that meets all of us at some point, which is fucking death. That, that, that's all of our destinies, you know, at some point is, is to die. Um, I hope those five people that died, I hope they lived good lives. You know, I hope they pass on love and joy to those around them. Um, and I hope those of us left here um, can can try a little bit to to have some some clear thinking um, in this miasma of of confusion and insanity um, that, you know, I'm, I'm not this, always the best at sort of deciphering. But but this is the thing they don't seem to understand is we are already going to have a certain amount of the population that is going, you know, to be dying from old age. We have the baby boomers are entering their twilight years. Unless yeah, you're a transhumanist immortal, unless you get immortality through transhumanism. Well, I still even look at the like heart disease or heart attack numbers or the cancer numbers. COVID is still not reached, you know, those kinds of numbers as far as the amount of people it kills uh, in the United States. Um, and yet we're not advocating for anything as drastic as these COVID measures to, to stop heart attacks or the flu or cancer. Um, it's, it's just, you just get to feel like we're cattle. I don't know what to say. No, we're humans and there's a humanitarian obligation to him, which is what we're going to shift to next, because this is amazing to me. Um, first of all, in the context of this post that I wrote, I'm, I'm going to, um, throw this in there and it might be kind of out of context, but, but yesterday I was at a coroner's inquest. Um, because 35-year-old Stephen Gill was was shot and killed by law enforcement in September of 2019. I had no idea about this case. Um, and so I sat in for an hour and just kind of observed. Um, because a coroner's inquest is what can happen when, you know, law enforcement's involved in a officer-involved shooting. Um, another judge presided over this, this um, court proceeding from Powell County, I believe, in this particular case. And, and so... Um, it's interesting, you know, as we look at uh, the desperation of people on the streets already here in our community, we will continue apparently to have our elected officials express the the, the deep um, joy and, and confidence that we are an appropriate place to bring Afghan nationals. And so um, I wanted to bring some attention to that because let's see, I read that fantastic poem about helping and we just, you know, want to continue helping just everyone. So um, here is a quote from another probably Missoula Current article. Thanks, Martin Kitston. All right. The International Rescue Committee, which reopened its office in Missoula five years ago, had resettled hundreds of refugees in, in Missoula from a growing list of nations, including Iraq, the Congo, and Syria, among others. The agency also is working to ensure any Afghan nationals settled in Missoula find housing and employment in an effort to, quote, get them as self-sufficient as quickly as possible, end quote probably because their funding ends after 90 days. Um, quote, several of these individuals have already resettled and enriched our community, and we look forward to the opportunity to welcome more, the county wrote in its letter. So this is the letter to the State Department. Quote, Missoula County takes our humanitarian obligations seriously. 
we would be proud to help in this endeavor and support the continued resettlement through the IRC and soft landing. Um, so they're, they're very excited. Um, and then continuing, commissioners describe Missoula as an ideal city for resettlement. So not only are we just like a pretty cool place, we are fucking ideal, okay? Mm. And notes past efforts in doing so. So hundreds of Hmong refugees resettled in Missoula in the late 70s and 80s later joined by Ukrainians and Belarusians. I don't know if they know this, but it's not the fucking 70s and 80s anymore. It's 2021, but there's more. Hmm. More recently, hundreds of refugees from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Syria, Iraq, and Eritrea also have arrived. Afghan nationals began arriving shortly after the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan in August. Quote, it would be an honor to host these folks who have worked with our military in tough spots throughout the world, said Commissioner Josh Slotnick. He knows that. He knows that for certain. He knows that he those know- were ones that worked with their military, not just people that got on a plane. Quote, hopefully we'll be able to help them out. So there's a, there's a helper. Um, Farmer Josh is going to help the Afghan nationals who helped America um, by helping the military, um, help the, the alliance that was against the Taliban. Um, they helped them grow poppies. They, they helped, um, you know, like Halliburton make some money. Uh, they helped with some, some minerals that are kind of like needed for, um, for the cell phones that my wife uh, put my kid's phone in the, in the washer. Now he's upset. And I don't know why I'm talking about that, except that I'm just, you know, help me understand this, Tim. Um, is, is Missoula an ideal city for resettlement? You're not you're not here anymore. You're down you're down in the bitter root. I, I mean, I'm struggling to care about this anymore. I'm, I just want to be honest about it. Like, yeah, what can I do tangibly to stop this? I don't know. Uh, do you know? Do, do you know what I did? Do you know, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. So um, when I was standing on the the courthouse sidewalk on Saturday with a sign, um, and, that, and that's not what I'm hinting at that you should do. I just wanted to say like little things that you can do to help in the situation. Um, there was a, a native guy um, talking about some of the, the, the work he was doing in a, in a college setting in the area, um, trying to do some indigenous kind of, you know, missing women stuff. And he said that some of the things he, were looking, he was looking into kind of like riled up, you know, the, some of the power structure even within the, the tribes, you know. And, and so things didn't go all that well for him. But well, we, we commiserated. We commiserated yeah. over, over not drinking alcohol. And I helped by giving him some weed, and it was really nice. I felt so good about it. It was the best thing I did Saturday is giving this man some some nice cannabis um, so that he didn't drink alcohol. And um, I support not drinking alcohol because when I was walking around Saturday night late after the Grizz lost, um, uh, upset to Sacramento State, right? Um, what I saw in terms of alcohol, I love walking around downtown on weekend nights not being a drunk. Well, I kind of am, but I, a dry drunk, right? You don't drink, so... Um, when I am walking around not drinking, I can see things a little bit more clearly. And man, there were some dudes getting their asses kicked Saturday night. And it was interesting because I also helped a a homeless guy the next day. Um, it it was clear he needed some alcohol. So I gave him some money. I don't usually do this, but I've been seeing this guy around. And, uh, and so I gave him some money and, um, he, he hasn't been on the streets in Missoula long, but he confirmed that he's like, man, Missoula is violent. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you know, a lot of people in this town don't don't understand it unless you actually go down on like a Friday and Saturday night and see some of the shit going on down here. Um, it is violent, and there were there were many dudes that lost fights on Saturday night, just just like the Grizz lost. I guess they wanted to reenact the the gridiron defeat by going downtown, getting fucking sloppy drunk, and getting their butts kicked. So it was it was fun though to watch that. Um, in some ways, drinking in Montana and places like Billings and Butte and Missoula is still very much like going out to a bar in the 80s. 
I think we're, you know, you watch these movies like Roadhouse or, you know, you just always used to see bar fights in the 80s. It was never a big deal. No one even pulled out a gun and started shooting everybody. It was just like, oh. Well, well, I, you know, if those if that's, guys were gonna get in a fight, like that's consensual fighting. And f- I don't know, not, not something I would do, but I prefer to have all my teeth when I get wake up the next day. But you know, whatever. Well, right. you know, in terms of struggling to care, um, you know, I, I I wonder if Missoula, you know, sometimes cares because uh, a couple of years ago it was all about um, city council feeling unsafe from verbal threats while um, homeless people and other folks were being um, stabbed and beaten to, to death. And, and that didn't result in like charges um, in a couple interesting cases. But, um, you know, in terms of people feeling unsafe, um, from what I've heard, you know, Grace Decker doesn't like how sometimes uh, activists like me uses a megaphone. Um, but despite that, I still want to write about um, the audaciousness of someone like Grace Decker who works at United Way, okay, um, is a school board member and then was quoted in the Missoulian recently um, about Jacob Elder's, you know, shit show mayoral campaign. Um, and this quote, you know, blocked by Jacob Elder started in June. And here's the quote, or here's the, the excerpt from the Missoulian article. Grace Decker, who started the group, was somewhat taken aback by being blocked and having commenting abilities limited for asking straightforward, non-offensive questions, she said. Decker started the group with the intention of finding out how widespread this response from Elder was, she said. It grew to include 189 members. I joined that group and asked some questions that weren't sanctioned. Um, and I think I was blocked from the group that was blocked by Jacob Elder. And you know, we discussed that in past episodes. But um, there, there, there's no shame in her game, despite the fact that uh, an ethics policy um, that I linked to in that, in that post uh, about the school board says, avoid being placed in a position of conflict of interest and refrain from using my board position for personal or partisan gain. I guess what you argue that it's not a board position um, or she's not using her board position. But uh, luckily, Grace doesn't Grace Decker doesn't have to defend herself. Um, she has uh, Patty Hearst wanted me, Jake Kevin Hunt to write lengthy comments You're on her behalf. So I don't, <laughs> I'm, I don't I'm not going to read his comment. People can go to the blog and read it. But I do appreciate him commenting again. Um, comments seem to drive traffic. So if people want to help you know, bring more more views, more traffic to, to my humble little blog efforts, then, then commenting is a good way to help me. So they're being helpers. You know, they're helping me, Tim. I like all this help that I get. It's fun. I'm just ready for the new thing. I'm ready for this group of human beings, the baby boomers who have taken their share and three more build back uh, better. Can you just every single convenience and power before they finally die? To just yes, we move on. We I are don't sacrificing the, the new, future this for the is, boomers. It's true. But. You know what I find crazy is you wonder why the young people are so nuts right now, but it's because they actually understand things in the most literal fashion. Okay, for Democrats and boomers, people who have been given everything, you know, moved here. Uh, I was talking to a guy in Bozeman I've known for a long time, and and he moved and got a six bedroom and house in Bozeman for one hundred and eighty thousand, which is worth like something like seven or eight hundred thousand now. And and just sort of looking wow. at the background of who, how many people have lived here long, what they actually paid for a home when they when they came here, um, it's just like, and you can't see why people after you are mad. You can't see. I mean, they're happy to do it because number one, their their own pocketbooks are going up, up, up because they know when they sell that house, they're going to get like half a million fucking dollars. And number two, if they're in a position of power in the city, of course they want to steer higher prices because they get more taxes for the city. And it's like, 
there are unseen hidden costs to all of this and you won't even acknowledge your own like benefits in the system so how in the fuck are you ever going to solve it like you can't even just be detached enough to just see it objectively you're only going to see it the way that benefits you and then put this kind of lip service i don't know i well that, i'm I mean, ready that, for i'm ready for this group of people to just you know and i'm not saying all baby boomers are evil but as a group they've done something that no other human generation even thought to do apparently you know if, think of all the people who've existed in america you know people who kept slaves people who you know put people in internment camps it's like well you know i mean i i, I definitely have a tendency to sometimes get into that generational divide and conquer um trap just just like the sort of i think racial divide and conquer trap is being heavily pushed through uh crt and other other ways um, and, and socioeconomically, the transfer of wealth has been going upwards since, you know, the, the, yeah. the house of cards really kind of showed itself in 2008 and 2009, you know, that, that tends to be a, a continued, not spoken, not contextualized aspect of, of, of what we're talking about, which is, you know, a small minute percentage of fucking sociopaths. Like, and we're not talking about a generation of people. Um, we're talking about. Um, a really small percentage of people. I'm building a library. Um, obviously, I got kick-ass books in here. Um, but a whole subsection now of my library is going to be dedicated to fucking sociopaths and like like the shit that they've actually written. You know, the, their plans, their long-term Fabian social engineering plans. Um, I mean, people don't, I think, uh, realize or put into context um, what power and money can do over decades and decades and decades. Um, I mean, we're seeing now the result of a lot of planning, you know, a lot of conditioning, um, a lot of power, naked power now, just using sort of manipulation and coercion to to really produce what what outcome that they want. And what outcome? I don't know. You know, the, the other night I was hanging out with some people in here and uh, they noticed this book, The Science of Eugenics. And they were like, oh, wow, you have a book back when they were like talking about eugenics. And I'm like, yeah, I have, I have some amazing books. Um, let's see. Here, talk for a second. I'm going to look for something. Oh, sure. What do I want to talk about? I, oh, I just closed my purge clip. It seemed a bit dark to go into right now. I mean, I'm still looking at the fact that our mayor bought a house uh, <laughs> on April 1st. Actually, is that April Fool's? When was it listed? Eh. I, I just... When was that? Let's say that again. Like, the shittiness is just going to continue. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's easy to, to, to lose steam and to be discouraged. I, I hear that. Um, I haven't like been uh, created the total exit strategy yet to flee Missoula County. Um, we're going to be here for, for a little bit longer until we're, you know, run out. Um, but it, you know, I do wonder, um, having sort of accepted the fact that Engen's going to win, although I, I hear people not sure about that. And there, there certainly seems to be some, some concern from the Engen camp that maybe all is not an easy glide into another four years, but you know, I, I wonder what the the next couple of years are going to look like. Um, in a lot of ways, the <coughs> excuse me, the the winter especially coming is going to uh, to be a very challenging one. Um, people do get sick. Uh, we don't have a lot of you know confidence. I think in in the legacy media and what they're in what they're saying. I absolutely oh. like a lot of people love seeing Joe Rogan um, kick Stanjay Gupta's ass rhetorically. Um, put Gupta on the spot, you know, um, say motherfucker, I can afford people medicine. I was actually telling, uh, I was telling Minnie, my wife, um, Tim about, um, our, one of our conversations where I was like, Hey, Hey lady, we're, 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 we're privileged. And in, in part, we like haven't had to rely on veterinarian medicine. I'm like, 
Tim said, Tim told us in like a past episode, like that's a thing. And us privileged asses didn't like, weren't aware of it, you know? Um, and I didn't, I didn't, cause I, I said part of Joe Rogan's response was a, was a bit interesting because he's just like, you know, I can afford people medicine. That was part of his contention is that, you know, you're calling it horse dewormer. Um, and, and, and there was that context to it, but in a lot of ways, um, I think people get confidence when, when they do see some pushback on these narrative controllers, even though Gupta, you know, ran back and Don Lemon was like, you know, they had their little commiseration over, over at CNN and, you know, my kids get CNN piped into their school. So, Hey, they got some viewers, but um, I remember years ago when I was looking at the journalism school here, yeah. uh, CNN was a particularly egregious. I think it was Donna Brazil was like working with the Hillary <laughs> campaign to like yeah. attack Bernie at that point. And uh, there's an ethics and journalism course that goes on at the university. I should look up and see what they're doing these days. This has been a couple of years ago now, but they wouldn't even prescribe a textbook. All they said was just sign up for CNN's email list, and that's going to be your textbook for the whole <laughs> semester. So if you're wondering Whoa. why journalists are such amazing ethical people at the University of Montana and the people who come out, uh, you, can, you can blame that. The other thing, that's insane. there was actually a... Uh, because I like to watch the musical chairs of journalists around the, the country. And uh, I think it was Corin Cates or someone was listing that uh, the N MTPR was actually looking for two new employees, one in Missoula, I think one in Helena. And so she had the listing. And because the MTPR is included in the university, you actually just see the listing of all the jobs in the U of M that are up right now. And one of them was just a comms position. Uh, so I think it was the Mansfield Center. Do you know oh, what that is? Yeah, of course. Okay, so what do you think a person who puts out press releases for the Mansfield Center would make per year, plus university benefits, of course. That's about another 30000 for the For the Mansfield Center, why, yeah. why, my first question would be, why does the Mansfield Center itself need a comms position? But well, I, I would they hope... They have one listed? Is, ooh, you're, it, would it be over $70,000? I, I, it's exactly 70000 <laughs> And do you want to guess how much a reporter for MTPR makes? Um, 28,000. It was like 36. So it was about half. That's a, that's, a, that's interesting. 70,000 for a comms position at the. Yeah. And now you wonder why the Missoulian people are fleeing to Missoula County public schools where they can just put out press releases for, 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 I mean, that, I, yeah, yeah. I want to pivot to something because, uh, I'm just pulling up. Um, I just wanted to look at Engins cause I was looking at the issue with him buying the house in April or maybe it was May just earlier this year. Uh, he just spent, oh, let's say twenty one fifty six. So he just spent fifty six hundred dollars to a company called Savvy Communications in Rancho Mirage, California, and he spent this money to text ten thousand four hundred and fifty nine votes to get out the vote for John Engen, and then he also paid for two thousand nine hundred ninety one uh, actual phone calls of voters to get out the vote. Interesting. And he also paid another, let's see, six. Seven, eight grand to a place in DC for uh, a postage mailing of all the people who have endorsed him. So he just sent 1,100 and 600 some uh, mailers. So our Engen in the past three days has spent what looks to be about 12 grand on spam text messages, phone calls, and mail. So there you go. And it all went to either California or Washington, DC. Nice. Well, you know, yeah, keeping it local, man. 
you got to make work uh, somehow. Um, <laughs> if you want to advertise on this podcast, you can reach me at Will Skink at Yahoo. I know why, you know, we should really just close this down and just be political consultants because uh, I know we need way more money. Get in that dirty ass game. Well, um, one of the things I was going to mention, but now it's it's flown out of my head. Um, so I'll just you know talk uh, until it maybe comes back into my head. But um, we do try and highlight books week after week. And one of the books that I ran across because I'm, I'm building in addition to the sociopath, like words from crazy people, sociopath, like subsection of my library. Um, I have the Montana section, which um, I'm adding to on the weekly. And this one is called to kill and kill again by John Costin about a serial killer in Missoula that I had no idea about. Um, and this is the terrifying true story of Montana's baby faced serial sex murderer. Wayne Nance. So um, he was active from 74 to 86. And I heard a story as I was standing out with a sign. Um, a lot of stuff happens when you just stand around with a sign, apparently, on Saturdays. Um, well, people will know what you're doing. But one of the women uh, that, that stands out with us was saying um, she was she was in Missoula you know, in the 80s and called 911. Uh, police responded very quickly. She said she just had a, a weird, bad feeling. And there was a peeper. It wasn't Wayne Nance, but... Um, you know, this guy actually operated, uh, I think he delivered with Conlin's furniture and would identify some of his, uh, victims that way. And she had gotten some kind of uh, delivery recently at that mm. time from Conlin's. And so she was really freaked out, but it was interesting because one of the things that, that, um, I'm kind of understanding from that is that police knew there was connection to some of these murders that were happening, but weren't really open with the public about what was happening. So, um, I think about that for other reasons that, that sometimes you just don't know what might be connected behind the scenes. Um, but you know, law enforcement has a, a different perspective, uh, in terms of what they're operating on. So something to consider, mm-hmm. but, um, build back better is also something I wanted to mention really quickly. I don't know if you saw the post that I wrote, can Missoula build back better without an EDA strategy? I did read that. I barely remember it now though. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's, that's okay. Because here, here's part of the thing. This language, it, it prevents your brain, also your willpower, but that's a different topic. Um, it's hard to sort of like, you know, absorb this. And, and it's also like you point out, it's hard to give a shit and care about this. But um, apparently, uh, as we continue to, to radically reshape society, um, especially with the, the trillion dollars, trillion plus this that's going to be interesting. coming. John Engen pays the deputy finance, you know, Melanie Brock, do you know her? Yes, I'm very familiar. Okay, she ran uh, part of Bullock's presidential bid. Oh, and now she's working on Engen's. uh, She's a consultant. Well, when you get to know um, some of these uh, popular institutions that some of these characters kind of move through, um, I don't know if she's ever been an Emmy peer, uh, Missoula Economic Partnership, but but that's where I'm trying to stay on topic, Tim. Despite your your efforts to to derail me, the Missoula or no Missoula Economic Partnership. Um, Grant Keir, anyways, um, talks about how we, we just can't suckle on the federal tit of the, of the, which one is it? This is so hard to keep up with all this stuff. Um, the EDA. She used to be a poli-sci professor at U of M. And then she worked for Bacchus. And then when Bacchus quit, she went, okay. Now, now you're up, up to speed on Melanie. She's like Tracy Stone Manning here. Where's the what does the EDA stand for? I'm having trouble. Economic even. Development Association. I no. believe that yeah that, that was it. Economic Development Ad, um, Administration, Administration right there. And um, but it, but this is this really is important and as boring as it can be and the average Joe repellent that's used to to kind of keep people from um, digging into some of this stuff. 
you know, it's pretty effective because it's like, okay, why do I care about this? Um, as money starts coming in and things change, I mean, these are the conduits in which this is this is happening. And so once once the framework is developed, um, then we get more federal money, and there's always strings attached with with that money. And so um, it's important, I think, to to understand that. But the way they explain it um, is, let's see, we've been without. Oh, hold on. So MEP has been focused on the income side of how to improve people's lives, but we do have to be mindful of the affordability side, said Kier. Part of our mission is to ensure that everyone has access to every opportunity they choose to seek in life and pass forward to make progress. Well, that's cool. It's just like, yeah, everything you want. But we also know there's a lot of folks in Missoula who love where they are, love their job and lifestyle. They're not looking for more income. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So how can they continue to do well and afford to stay in the place they care about? To answer that question, MEP has worked over the past year to explore the conditions around economic recovery and is developing a comprehensive economic development strategy to guide the way. The strategy is prescribed. Okay, so kind of like you might get a ivermectin prescription. No, not at all like that. Um, so the strategy is prescribed by the Economic Development Administration as a way to plan the economic future of a community. In the past, Missoula hasn't had one, Kier said. Holy shit. Okay. Quote, we've been without one in Missoula County for the better part of seven or eight years. Did you know that? Without Good a strategy? Time. Yeah, but I know you're, it's hard to pay attention, but I'm trying to make it as exciting as possible. Listen to this, Kier said. So we have been one of the only communities in the Western U.S. that didn't have one of these plans in place. And because oh of that, my gosh. I know, see, I'm glad you're concerned now. And because of that, we've been at a significant disadvantage or even unqualified for some forms of funding from the Economic Development Administration that would help us form our goals around economic development. They can't even form goals without getting fucking money from some kind of federal agency. It's like, ah, what do we do? I need more federal money. I mean, it gets to the point where it's like, um, what's that? Dune is about to come out. Remember the, like the old Dune where that giant fat guy is floating around in this thing and he's like pussing and mm -hmm. like squirting out? Yeah. Doesn't he need something to like keep going? I mean, is Missoula that fat guy in Dune? Is what I'm trying to is what I'm trying to ask you, Tim. Well, I, he was gay, so um, is Missoula gay? There's your first question. Well, that that's a point in in, in its favor. He was trying to get his pussy old man face and that young hot twink. So, I mean, that's if you if you consider the federal government the young. No, we can't do that. Yeah, uh, we, maybe we our go nature, there. maybe the rivers and trees. I I don't know how you want. But th this, this metaphor happen. You know, it's funny because my, my buddy um, sent me a message when, when he read this. And it's just like, you know, the, the rhetoric is such bullshit that, that you read from this. Um, yeah, and it, But yet this is this is like real work that's being done. Like all of these little apparatchiks or whatever you say that word yeah. are just like, like you know, operating. Um, the, the bureaucracy has become just so, so massive. And it's, it, it's all of these different institutions that aren't even a part of it, like official government. Um, and, and what is this creating? Is it, has it created a better, you know, access to, to services for people that need it? You know, do we have good mental health services? Do we, do we have affordable housing or, or is that just getting more and more out of reach with, with like more, the latest ridiculous scheme and this here and that over there and we'll do this. And, and yeah. Do you want to talk about the, well, I, I brought you that San Francisco book. Yeah. Um, but you, you've been actually reading it. Well, so. the reason I say it is because anytime one of these people come out with a book, they also go on like a tour everywhere. So uh, Michael Schellenberger, he actually wrote another book called Climate Alarmism Never, something like that. It was 
he spent a lot of the 90s and early 2000s as a really hardcore leftist with Greenpeace and, and advocating for a lot of these sort of social services that we talk about with the homeless. And he pretty much has kind of taken a, a hard turn back to the right where he says, you know, we can't just treat everyone as victims and victims of circumstance that, yeah. uh, you know, we set up these things to help people. But when we give them no responsibility to live up to, we end up hurting them more because they end up just in this spiral of drugs or, or mental health needs that never get addressed. Um, and I found that really interesting, uh, especially in terms of this. Also, one of the reasons was because he talked specifically about that 10-year homeless plan actually came out of the Bush administration. And so part of the reason we're sort of getting to the end of that is that was sort of the end of the Bush administration when those well, programs not, not, started to roll out. Was it, was it housing first that he's talking about? I think the, it was housing first. He, yeah. it's. I would really highly recommend the book, even though I'm only three chapters into it. But it does give a pretty good overview of what all the moving pieces in this conversation are and why some of of them uh for instance he talks about occupy wall street and a lot of people took tents out and they wanted to fight against corporate america and then when that movement kind of fizzled out they actually just gave all those tents to the people who were already living on the street so the there's a really good book i've also in the middle of called days of rage and it talks about uh, a lot of what ends up being like jewish white intellectuals trying to fight alongside black people during the 60s and 70s and the black panthers the black panthers never took them seriously because they're all rich white kids and they kept just robbing them and then the rich white kids were like well it's it's their victimhood is why they took all our equipment <laughs> uh well o occupy yeah. occupy missoula you know so our little companion uh, movement you know, I, I was working at the Pavarella Center at the time because that was located downtown and, and the encampments on the courthouse lawn quickly became a, a homeless triage for the for the people that weren't able to access services back then. Because, you know, throughout the Pav's history, there have been people that cannot get inside for any number of reasons because they're not safe for other people or because their um, drug abuse has been too rampant. Um, the Pav has, in, during my time, tried a harm reduction uh, approach and so you know allowing people to be under the influence at the old building taught us a lot of lessons i had an interview with uh, patrick dugans um one of my former co-workers um from that time period because i think it was the winter of 2010 we talked about specifically was just god awful um so i've been in that situation of, of triage and trying to keep people from dying on the streets i know people like tim lloyd who have died from exposure that even though he had a housing voucher he couldn't find even back then i think that was 2018 um, yeah, it was 2018. You know, Tim had a housing voucher and, and couldn't get into housing, even though he had a, a voucher. He had a subsidy and wasn't able to find a rental property that was willing to, to rent to him. And so he died by the, the walking bridge, by the Union Gospel Mission um, on the track by the tracks. Um, and so, you know, it's 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 incredibly frustrating to um, to see a certain amount of enabling, um, because one of the things that, that people on the outside don't understand is that it's a very difficult thing to differentiate between some of the predation that happens and some of the very vulnerable, um, you know, people that, that maybe just need to get into a more secure you know, housing situation. A lot of times you have messy domestic situations involved in this. It takes a lot of times, especially in a domestic a challenging domestic situation, you know, people don't leave their abusers. Um, and it doesn't usually stick until multiple attempts to leave. Um, and some of the people or some of the, the realities that people don't know, like, like the YWCA has always had very limited resources. And so if your abuser is in another city in the state, you might not qualify for their emergency shelter for for people that are fleeing domestic abuse. 
Um, I mean, that's that's part of the dynamics at play with with a state that has limited state resources. Yeah. You know, um, one of the differentiations they make in this book is the difference between between shelter and housing and how uh, a lot of the people on the street, they actually set up the analogy he uses in the book is called Pleasure Island, which is from Pinocchio. Yeah, yeah. And so the kids go there and they eat as much as they want. They can play as many games as they want, just be naughty and smoke cigarettes and drink. And then over time, they become like donkeys. And so he sort of uses, actually, it was a guy who got himself off the streets as using this analogy. And he's just saying, you know, on this side of the street, I have people who are willing to give me as much free food as I want. Free, you know, I can go check by a doctor. I can go get, you know, some shelter. And then directly on the other side of the street is someone willing to deal me like $3 hit of heroin, of like black tar heroin. He's like, if I'm an addict and I don't actually want to get out of my addiction, I just want to be somewhere where I can be in my addiction. How about a place where they won't enforce any of the drug laws? You can open, you know, deal drugs, right? Open in the open and no one's going to arrest you. No one's going to do anything about it. And he's like, a lot of people, they don't want housing. They don't want to transition into what is like, quote unquote, a regular life. And I think that's also something to consider when we talk about this issue, especially in a place like Missoula, because it seems as though the fence or the line between, you know, living outside, living in the elements, living where there's really no kind of law, everything is, is self and personal protection. You know, people, the cops aren't going down there and making a case and interviewing people and taking to a judge. Like if something happens down there, it's generally settled, you know, without, you know, what we would generally consider like police and law enforcement present. Yeah, absolutely. And we're also assuming they even want to get into this. I mean, kind of environment they want to go work a nine to five job they want to go you know pay a bunch half their check for rent they want to get in this pace where people are barely hanging on or living like seven people to a two bedroom a lot of people make the conscious choice no screw that fuck that you know how much work i'd have to put in you know how much i'd have to give up how much freedom i'd have to give well, up he, like here's one of the most concerning things about um specifically the clark fork lane spot where they have identified um a legal encampment will be set up um, in order to relocate the illegal campers at Reserve Street. Is that um, out on Mullen? Yes. Okay. And so um, kind of by the Poplar tree farm yep. um, that was created to deal with the affluent uh, sewer waste problem. Right. Yeah. Right by there, by the, the water treatment Our sewage are plant. so special. They grow trees. But, you know, with, with some of the, the if people have been listening to us or have been reading my writing for, for a while, they might think I'm just like um, automatically against uh or, or, or maybe they, they might think I'm for just running people out of the Reserve Street camp area because I've been very critical of allowing that encampment to exist, right? And it's not necessarily that I am um, critical of allowing... How do I, how do I nuance this? Um, back when I was working at the, at the POV as the Homeless Outreach Coordinator, we had worked successfully with the Health Department, Clark Fork Coalition, and people living out at Reserve Street um, to minimize the impact and to keep permanent structures from being built. We did um, usually two cleanups a year. This was done for a couple of years and we kept that area for the most part managed. People continued to live out there, okay? But it wasn't um, shantytown being built. When I left my job in 2016, the, the um, approach changed. It was more hands-off. And because it's been more hands-off, it's allowed a situation to get more entrenched and established. So now it becomes more difficult to change that situation and change the dynamics because for years and years, the people living out there who I talk to, not everyone, but I've had conversations more than a few with people living out there, um, they don't believe that anything is going to happen um, in terms of relocation. And they don't necessarily want to go to a plot of land, even though there's quote unquote water, you know, in porta potties. They are out there because in a lot of ways, like you say, they can do whatever they want. 
um, and to some extent, the accountability out there is usually from their fellow campers. Um, that could be vigilantism. Um, there's some other challenging dynamics out there, but um, subsidized housing for a lot of those folks, if they have like an income, because a lot of people do have some level of like disability or yeah. they might be veterans and, uh, and have service connected um, funding, but you're giving up a good portion of your of your resources and you're left with a few measly things. Like I, um, I saw a former client outside the palace the other day and I gave him some money. He just wanted a, you know, a little, a little extra like beer. And I'm just like, hey, you're not going to drink too much, are you? He's like, no, just a couple beers a day. I'm like, okay, you know. But um, he's on disability. You know, can't. I'm sure his um, payee, if he has one, wouldn't you know want him to have alcohol. And so he goes out and panhandles money for for some extra spending money. Um, if you're living out um, out at reserve, it might be a more challenging situation. Um, but you might keep your entire $800 disability check, which is better than giving $600 to some piece of shit property management company that treats you like shit anyways, you know, and you're living in a nasty slum, um, next to the, you know, pedos and other, I mean, there's so many challenging dynamics. I I know because of uh, the legality of some of the, um, what was happening with the, the ninth circuit decision, um, out of, I think Boise, uh, the Supreme court was ended up not taking that case. And that was the case that creates all this confusion around um, if it's legal to tell people not to camp. And so one of the, I think, conditions of the Ninth Circuit decision was that communities have to have alternatives before they can um, force someone out of a illegal encampment situation. So my understanding is is part of what the, um, the, the incident command team was looking at in the beginning of summer you know, they were looking at um, creating or finding an appropriate location so that that alternative piece of the, like the legal equation can be met. And then the um, the Reserve Street illegal campers will be relocated. One of the challenges is that from what I understand, there hasn't been a lot of communication to people living out there. that This might, this might be imminent and might be coming. Maybe the plan is to wait until spring, just let the winter go. I don't know, but um, it's it's a mess, and um, some of the situations out there, I mean, there's a guy that took some shots with a pellet gun, it turned out to be a pellet gun, but uh, Timothy Clark is facing felony charges, and he's in jail because he was arrested after creating a, a, a situation in which many uh, police cars were responding to that area on reports of shots fired. Um, this hasn't been, I think, connected in the media, but there was a sexual assault out there, so there's someone in jail um, who was pretty well known out there because he had a generator and was able to charge up devices. So even some of the young ladies that sometimes go out there, not necessarily living out there, um, but the people that go through these these under the radar spots, um, you know, this, this is just for what I've alleged or what I've been told from some people that have a better understanding of the dynamics on the ground out there. Um, and, and so, I mean, it's, it's a challenging situation. I don't want to further stigmatize people, but at the same time, um, what's happened out at reserve street, there's been serious felony assaults. Um, Kevin Lino was uh, arrested and convicted of murdering someone out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a serious situation when, when, um, you know, people that do have leverage that can be used against them when they're being fined or they're, they're, you know, they don't want their credit destroyed. They don't want the tickets to result in, in their being arrested. You know, we're creating this two-tier society in a lot of ways where some people have accountability and some people don't. And it's, it's like the people that don't have accountability are on the very extreme ends of the spectrum. On the very high end and very low end, yeah. there's like no accountability. And all the people in the middle just feel more and more squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and, and resentful 
that uh, there's not accountability at the very top and the very bottom. So, well, I mean, how, how numb can you go from just continuing to like pay taxes in the system and exist in it and see it every day and see it not change? Yeah. Like, well, it'll get worse. It's changing. Um, not, not for the better. Man. Build back better. Do we have anything else to talk about? You know, I, I think we could probably um, over an hour. I think we could probably wrap it up. Um, I, I do. I'm trying to think. I, yesterday was such a busy, busy day, and there's um, we're we're on the 19th now, so um, I feel like there's going to be just a lot of stuff happening in the next couple of weeks and the next month. I'm excited for for stuff that I'll be able to I think talk about more in the in the weeks and month to come. Um, but before you know any of that happens, I think just uh, knowing that you know we are here in Missoula doing what we can week after week to to have some fun and talking about the dynamics of our community. Um, I, I'd like some more like Bitterroot perspective. I want to know more about what's going on in the Bitterroot because um, we we very well might flee down there at some point. We took the kids down there um, to the haunted the haunted court. Oh, maze. did you do it? Oh, was man. it the maze or the one where they scare you with the chainsaw and stuff? The where you, they scare us with oh, the chainsaw. Oh, you just told me I got coupons for that one. How we, was it? We went. Um, I took. So we went the the previous weekend in the daytime with the kids, and they're just uh -huh. like, you know, we want to go at night. And so we weren't sure if like the whole family, even like the the little girl, wanted to go. But like, you know, the little girl was. She was like, I'm gonna go. She did it. Okay. Oh my. I heard goodness. it's scary. I heard I all adults in my family went. I didn't the, even. There go. was a, there was a young woman in her 20s that my my wife told me later like they kind of ran into and she was like freaking out and having some kind of panic attack. At one point, you go through like this intestinal bowel feeling thing where the the plastic bags are being pushed against you. It was pretty insane and crazy, but um, the, it is twenty bucks. So they were like, "This better be good for twenty bucks." Not, not a, no. See if it, we paid a ridiculous amount because you can spend thirty dollars to have a fast pass. It would have we would have been waiting for about. They told us. I'm sure it's not accurate, but um, it would have been like two and a half hour wait yeah. if we would have waited in the in the zigzag line. And so the fast pass is a straight shot. And it, it very much speeds up your entry into the maze, into the, well, not the maze, into the, right. it was a lot of fun. My, my mom came and like, it was one of the few times where like there was no fights and yelling. Everyone had a great time. Um, we, we drove back. It was, it was pretty late. My, my little girl um, short circuited because she was so tired at the very end. She had so much stimulation, but everyone had a, had a blast. The little Chucky thing, especially is creepy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there, there's some freaky moments, but for anyone that um, has some kiddos, I mean, it's one of the few kind of uh, family things to do this season. Do you so. like horror movies generally? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, maybe we should come back next week because next week will be the 26th, so it'll be the Halloween show or the yeah. one last week before Halloween. be interesting to have. I have a lot of really good horror movies I've seen, which no one... Let's no one do seems it. to care, but I'll recommend them anyways. Let's do it. So I, I will um, actually rewatch some things that I want to because I have a couple titles. And John Carpenter's one of my like Prince of Darkness has been coming up a bunch. Really? Yeah. I yeah. have a YouTube thing I'll recommend for you. Then I just had some people I follow who are film critics rewatch every John Carpenter movie and then rank them. There, I mean, no, there are in terms of like horror films, um, there are some movies that really seem to hold up better in terms of cultural critiques and horror films tend to really have that capacity of bringing a lot of cultural elements and um, doing some interesting things. There's even that one um, like cabin in the woods. Have you seen that one? That's one of my favorite, the original one. I don't know if it's the original one, but um, like late nineties, early two thousands where no, they, the most recent one. Oh, where, you where mean the one where there's, the, the like depending what they do in the beginning depends on which monsters will come try to haunt them yeah. and they're like taking bets on it that was really good that was uh 
That was one of the more interesting twist takes I've seen on that was sort it, of horror genre type. It's type. a really famous director, one of his early works. I want to say James Gunn, but let me just double check. You should. It was it was so good. That one that one blew my mind. But um, you know, we kind of live in a in a horror show haunted house, um, so to speak. And uh, one of my Lego sets that I want to get, I might have to ask Santa this for Christmas, is a big big Lego haunted house. Hmm. It's very cool. My my kid for his birthday got um, the Lego blacksmith set, which is super badass. It's like this big blacksmith like shop cabin thing. So cool. Well, so on that note, good. Um, on good, positive, happy things, not serial killer Wayne Nance stuff, um, we will be back next oh, week for, for the... Meyerhofer. That was the Bozeman serial killer. Travis was trying to tell me about this uh, Missoula serial killer. Wayne and I Nance. kept My- thinking it was the one from Bozeman. Bozeman had uh, one but, too? Meyerhofer. Yeah, uh, Meyerhofer. You know, the, it's M-E-I-E-R. Uh, because there's a guy, gosh, I can't remember his name now. Robert Ressler, I think is the guy's name. He's actually the guy who started the serial killer wing at Quantico at the FBI. And so he started, he was the first one to actually be profiling these serial killers, which has been much more effective in trying to catch them. And he gave a talk at MSU probably 20 years ago now. And he specifically talked about Meyerhofer. Really? He was like snatching girls out of their tents from their yards and, and chopping them up and putting them in like... Well, Good I remember Lord. when we used to make a, like deer burger, elk burger, and when I saw the pictures, it looked the same. So, we sorry, tr- that's a bit morbid. We I guess, tried to end on a positive note. You're talking well, about October. making little girl pies. My, g- um, you really want to go into that one because that's Great Falls. Did you know about that one? So that actually Nathan Barjona who had a whole cookbook of little boys who worked at Arby's for like 20 years. We should actually do a serial killer episode specifically. And oh, yeah. um, well, because the, there, there's a detective in Montana that, that sort of thinks he's linked almost like all like, you know, mass murders to, to some like one, you know, mastermind guy. Um, and, and there are multiple points of interest, I think, in Montana when it comes to that topic. So maybe for a later episode. Yeah, do you see Ted Cruz? Uh, he tweeted out because they finally found out who the Zodiac killer was. So he just had a like, Phew, it's not me. <laughs> I did see that. Oh, yeah, that's funny. That's clever. For later episodes. Well, you can reach out to me if you want. Um, we will be interviewing people at some point. But right now, Tim just... Tim and I have too much yeah, fun doing t- this. People are so. running for office right now. They don't actually want to talk to us until that's over. Yeah, we can get some postmortems maybe, get some of the, the down and dirty. But uh, reach out to me if you're interested at willskink at yahoo.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. And we will be back next week with our Halloween episode. I'm going to be dressed as Patty Hearst maybe. or I'll our, be dressed as J. Kevin Hunt. How about Donnie Darko? I want to be, I want to be Jake Gyllenhaal. I'll be Jacob Elder. Okay, let's do it. I won't do blackface, No, you better not. That's going to get us in trouble. Okay, until next week. Bye.